getting social in response to the latest banking crisis? Check. Getting heard on herd? Check, check. And earning a reputation for being responsive and available? Well, that's a check, check, check in my book. Folks, the business of banking is never boring. Something today's guest, Jill Castilla, the president and CEO of Citizens Bank of Edmond, certainly has not been accused of being. So I'm Al Dominic with one of my most creative partners, Steve Williams. Hey, Al. And this is plugged in from Cornerstone Advisors. So Steve, hello. Would you like to say hello to our friend Jill? It's the legend. Jill, good to talk to you again. It's always great. And like Al, I feel like I'm in touch with you on social media all the time, but to be talking live is an honor. Great to see you. So great to see you, Steve and Al. Great to be on. The team at Cornerstone just thinks Jill is just like top, top, top of the mountain when it comes to conversation. So we've got a big job in front of us. We've got to make sure that we keep our colleagues listening to this. And certainly we want to explain some of the things that we find interesting about banking and see if Jill agrees with us. And like we normally do on Plugged In, we're going to use some fun musical references to keep our conversation Maybe not as centered as you would expect, but certainly moving along. So, Steve, you and I have a lot of fun putting these playlists together. Today is no exception. I think we want to start with something that just gives our appreciation and thanks to Jill and her family for their service to this country. Absolutely right. And Jill, uh, take us. Yeah, for those who uh, want to read more on Jill, it's it's out there. Please do. It's a fascinating story, but a lot of military service in your family. So we wanted to pick a song by Toby Keith, American Soldier. I'm an American soldier, an American. Besides my brothers and sisters, I will proudly take a stand. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. And not only are you married to a retired Lieutenant Colonel Marcus, but your uh, family also, your sons also uh, have military service. I, we want to talk about how do you bring that to banking? What has that given you, yourself being uh, in the Army, uh, being around a military family? How's that influenced you as a leader and a banker? Well, that's a big question. And Toby Heath, fellow Oklahoman, so couldn't be a better choice from a song standpoint. That's right. We had to get some Oklahoma. You're going to have some Oklahoma in here, Jill. That's right. And yeah, so I think there's so many parallels when it comes to the military framework, discipline, bureaucracy, Mm -hmm. Um, some of the progressive nature of warfare um, and how you have to stay relevant, but then you can also get really stuck in the past and, and... you know, not be as relevant. So um, I think the, from a military standpoint, I enlisted as a 19-year-old private. So the leadership extremes really of um, my military service and what I get to do in banking. But there's the ethical foundation. I mean, that's the number one piece of it. You know, whenever you're a soldier, whether you're a private, you're expected to to um, have these very high integrity to to obey orders, except for the ones that are illegal, and no one gives you explicitly what illegal really means. And and the same as with banking, you have to um, really, I mean, everything in banking starts with integrity, where fiduciaries to, you know, custodians, depositors, and then we also, if we don't do the right thing when it comes to lending, then the community fails. And so there's just that foundation, I think, of ethics and, and integrity that both uh, rely so heavily upon and and if there are dire consequences if they um, if that's not upheld. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jill, I work with some West Point grads who, though they had that discipline and were fabulous, they couldn't get creative. And, and I've noticed that you've been able to use that as a foundation, though, but be creative, be a little loose, be a little test and learn as well. Yeah. And I think that 
I think honestly, that's different between being enlisted in the military and being an officer. Um, you know, they they have a lot more responsibilities and and focus on them. When you're enlisted, you're expected to have hip pocket training. You're always maximizing your time and mm-hmm. downtime. If you, the, all the officers are planning everything and can't have um, really failure. Is there if they have failure, then it's a a poorly planned um, um, endeavor, or you know they didn't adjust appropriately. Whereas when you're enlisted, you're on the ground and you're expected to adjust and you're expected to read the situation. And avoid failure, maximize opportunities that, you know, where you thought there was exposure, um, but actually it turned out to be something differently. You had to pivot more quickly. You're like really on the ground. And I think that's really what being a community banker is about. You're in the grocery store aisle. You're feeling the economy and what's happening. You know, I sit behind the teller line. I can see anxiety or elation in our customers coming in. And you're able to make those little adjustments, which really leads to innovation. I mean, innovation yeah. is really having a good feel of what people want and need before they can tell you that that's what they want and need. And and I think that's really, there's a lot of parallels that yeah. being enlisted kind of brings over. To I love me. it. The, the enlisted <laughs> is like the, the community banker on the ground. And we, we do feel like you're one of those uh, leaders out there kind of fighting for the soul of banking. Uh, and uh, and love what you do. We feel like we're trying to build that fight as well. So now kind of tied to that, going with change and evolving, you've got the next song up for Jill. I, I do, but I can't miss this opportunity to, to give you a little grief, Steve, because you clearly haven't been working with anyone that went to Annapolis. The midshipmen are known <laughs> for being creative. If you're just watching Army-Navy game, go Navy, beat Army. I say that as a, as a son whose dad played football for Navy, and I love watching the midshipmen that, take care of and, and so the, the Army Navy the Army Navy game at Jill's house must be real exciting to watch. Got to be epic family well, dynamics. Our, you know, our daughter is a cheerleader in Navy, and she doesn't allow us to cheer in her presence for anyone. <laughs> so, well, look, all all credit to the all credit to the Black Knights, but you know, I'm going to be you know going midshipman this year and every year in the future. So, anyway, Steve's right. Um, we do want to, you know, shift away from, you know, kind of your background into some of the things that are happening right now to the industry as a whole. And, you know, we are responding still to this banking crisis that we're all a part of in different ways. Steve was really nice to use Toby Keith. I'm going to use another Oklahoma based band. This is the all American rejects whose song move along. Some of us may be familiar with, uh, gosh, I wish my voice was better so I could use these lyrics to say when all you've got to keep is strong, move along, move along. Like I know you do. And even when your hope is gone, move along, move along just to make it through. So in some ways, I I just want to start by asking, like, what's on your mind right now, given the really disappointing failures of four banks, all the scrutiny that has been placed by the general public on the business of banking relative to what a community bank like yours does for its community on a regular basis? I mean, I don't think there's ever been a better time to tell our story as community bankers and, and what is our purpose and why are we here and what makes us different. And I wish there was more of us that were, um, were using our voices more broadly to tell the stories. We, we talk to our communities and our customers, I think, consistently, but we're not great about broadcasting that message more nationally. And um, there's such a great opportunity with almost 4,000 banks that are under a billion dollars to be able to say, um, to the country that there's choice and there's there's technological relevance, there's care, um, and there's um, solid risk management that you can find in smaller institutions. 
Yeah, see, I get a little disappointed, though, because I feel, and I agree with you, but I feel like we've been talking about this, you know, kind of unfortunate narrative that bankers have allowed over the years to be defined for them. And so I think about the last few years of COVID with the triple P rollout and all the goodwill that was generated by banks of all sizes doing some really incredible things for their client base. And all of a sudden we have, you know, again, this run of trust on institutions that are, for the most part, much larger than most banks in the U.S. And we're right back to square one of, well, can we trust a bank? And that to me is really, you know, when Steve says we want to fight, it's not to, you know, get into something nefarious. It's more to say, hey, let's not lose sight of the fact that community banks really are fundamental to the overall fabric of a community and can do some really great things. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Hurt on Hurt earlier. Maybe you could just kind of explain that origin story because it, it really shines light on how a bank like yours has made investments before it was cool to do something like that. Um, so Citizens, when I came on board in 2009, was a turnaround situation. And once we were emerged from our turnaround, we decided that we wanted to be around for another 120 years. And in doing so, the branch network wasn't serving us well to be able to have that long-term success. So we sold all our branch locations, kept the deposits, and we didn't sell the customers, and decided we were just going to be in our original downtown Edmond home, where we'd been for 122 years now. Um, but the downtown area was depressed. It's a low moderate income track, lots of empty storefronts, historic downtown. Um, started before statehood, we were 1901 founding. Statehood was 1907. And, um, and it was just this very sleepy, depressed part of our community that's a very affluent community. didn't really make a lot of sense. So we decided to, um, when we did our SWOT analysis, one of our weaknesses was location. And so one of the gaps, I think that you can find a lot of uh, creativity is by flipping your your weaknesses to strengths, your threats to opportunities. And and we certainly made that our focus for our location. How do we make downtown Edmond a destination so that you're coming to the bank and enjoying a place? How do you place make? And so we had um, the largest food truck festival in the nation was just down the street in Oklahoma City. Um, we were sponsoring that event. And then Edmondites are saying, how why, why can't we have something like this in, in Edmond? So uh, we worked with the city and the, the bank, just our 55 team members, planned and orchestrated a local music festival that, that at first had just a few food trucks and pop-up shops. Um, we had to guarantee the food trucks that they would have a minimum amount of customers. Um, and then we, they sold out that first night. We had 3,000 people show out. Now we regularly have 55,000 people come to a bank celebration. We're in our 10th season. We do it eight times a year, um, every third Saturday, 6 to 10 p.m., three local bands, 60-plus small businesses and food trucks. Our team plans and pays for the entire event. Um, It's changed our downtown. We now have $250 million in developments that are underway in our downtown, little downtown community. The economic impact alone has been over $80 million just for that four hours every third Saturday. I, such, this is the cool. This is the cool stuff that we just need to amplify. You know, these are the stories that I really hope people take and say, "I want to do something like that." So, Steve, you know, you and I talk a lot about creativity and how do you take creativity and monetize it. I think this is essentially the definition of innovation these days. You want to play off this? Yeah, I want to. So, when you say fifty-five thousand people, I, I start to think about another Oklahoman, Mr. Garth Brooks. If we headed up to Stillwater, Oklahoma. Jill, and maybe we got a burger at Eskimo Joe's. 
But uh, he's got a great song, if you're a fan of his uh, Standing Outside the Fire, where he says, They're so hell-bent on giving, walking a wire, convinced it's not living if you stand outside the fire. So Al and I were joking, you you live inside the fire. You've done everything from called up Mark uh, Cuban for PPP to done drive-up banking to done what you just described in terms of changing downtown Edmond. What are you excited about right now? If, if we were to hang out uh, in your conference room for the next couple of weeks, what's your team talking about next when it comes to innovation and what kind of fintech partnerships might play into that innovation? Well, blame it all on my roots. Um, I am. You showed up in your boots and right. <laughs> ruined a black tie affair. There we That's go. Right. Um, but um, you would hear a lot. It's it's uh, for a small bank, just one location, 55 people, been around forever. And you would hear a lot of projects that are going on. We're launching a military-focused bank, basically a challenger bank to USAA and Navy Federal Credit Union um, in the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about that. I enlisted at 19, very economically um, fragile and, um, and a family member stole all my money when I was away at training. And so this is going to be really a way in which we can set up service members for success no matter where they are in their careers. Um, we're also partnering with a FinTech company to do have a national, um, account opening, um, just top best of breed account opening system. They'll take two minutes to open an account and, and it's, we're expanding that into business accounts. But one of the, uh, most, fun and um, just like recent emerging opportunities has been our partners with the VC community. Um, whenever we ha- saw SVV fail and, and Signature Bank fail and First Republic, um, we knew that there are VCs in our community that are banking with these banks. And so we reached out to them to say, okay, what can we do? What services did they have that, that you're missing that these deposits can't stay here in Oklahoma? And we were able to call a few fintech friends and get some um, really fast implementations completed. It really be the only bank in Oklahoma that can serve um, founders and the the VC community in a way that they're accustomed to um, in the back. And we're able to do that in a two week time period. So, and the team has some longer term projects, like I mentioned, but also we can hustle and get something implemented in pretty short order to yeah. serve customers. Well, getting those deposits in this time when everyone's looking for liquidity, that's a big short term win. And and like you said, it's that, that enlisted banker just getting it done. <laughs> that's exactly that's right. awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is. And I, you know, I think this is, goes to the credibility that you've built as an individual and really the leadership that you've exhibited over the years that you can walk into these conversations and have people say, you know, Jill's not going to waste my time. You know, she's going to be there for me, you know, in good times and in bad. I think that's a really important leadership lesson that people need to pay attention to. Um, You know, Steve and I, again, we like to crib off each other and use some Oklahoma bands. I'm going to throw him a little bit of a curveball because I know he did this with his daughter earlier this year. He went to a Taylor Swift concert. I was driving carpool this morning for my 14-year-old daughter and her friends, and we were listening to, of course, a little Taylor, and Karma came on. And that song has been stuck in my head the entire day. (laughs) So Karma, me and Karma vibe like that, I think is the lyric. But Man Alive, I think about how Taylor Swift has really just created a brand and, uh, you know, just this incredible following. And I'm not trying to draw a parallel from Taylor Swift to Jill Castillo, but you have developed a national a national oh. reputation for being available and responsive and yeah. respected. And I remember meeting you years ago where you basically yeah. told me you 
said, why wouldn't I say yes to opportunities? Why wouldn't I say yes to speaking? Why wouldn't I say yes to helping somebody out? So I'd love if you could just kind of take us back to that moment where you realize as a leader, you could really impact others with your behavior. Well, it was really lucky. It didn't feel lucky at the time, but we were at the Trouble Condition Bank back when I came in 2009. And the only thing that really kept depositors with us was being just ever present and accountable and honest and transparent and and giving them just complete access to me 24 seven, um, pulling out non-public information and sharing it, you know, always protecting customer information, but the bank's information is just basically free for all. And you see how that kind of vulnerability of like, this is our numbers and they're terrible, but this is how we're fixing them. That that's really what create connections and trust. It wasn't me perfect. And, um, as I've gone through the years, as we've had crises, whether it's COVID or, um, community situations um, and sometimes not knowing what to do, but being just authentic and engaged um, makes all the difference. And the community, like being able to tap like credit uh, FinTech or, um, you know, great resources throughout our ecosystem, that's all only available to me because you showed up for other people and you just consistently showed up without any consideration while you were getting in return, just knowing that you were going to be a good friend out to the community. Uh, to people that maybe you didn't even know, but you're going to be a good friend to them. And then um, in those times of needs, what you find is that people are really good friends to you. It's a it's a really lovely um, you know industry to be a part of, and and people are really good, and and they want to do work with good people. I think whenever you start chasing chasing your own self interest or even even profitability first, I mean profitability you were for profit companies. But whenever you have that top of mind, it becomes less authentic. Um, but when you can find where you can really help people, it draws good people in with you. Yeah, and I, I really I appreciate how you invite people into the business of banking. You know, if you go onto LinkedIn, if you look on Jill's, you know, profile, you have a video explaining camel ratings. You know, you have things that are, you know, <laughs> right. they're not necessarily what a social influencer <laughs> would be trying to put up. But I think you do a great job of saying, hey, you know what? This is the world that we live in and we have to help you understand right. we get this. And you don't have to worry about it, but we're going to be fully transparent. It might not knock off a Charlie D'Amelio TikTok in the near future, but it's something that, you know, for bankers, it's kind of, I, I would geek out on it and I think it's good to, to educate. And Al, you know, one thing I would joke about, and it's actually not a joke, is Jill's been very transparent. Call me or text me. If I was a 61-year-old banker with a billion-dollar bank, and uh, looking at this, I would, I would call Jill and do a reverse merger saying, hey, we're bigger, but let's merge and give you the scale, Jill, and you run the place with this innovation. Are you getting, I, I know you can't talk, but is there interest in M&A? I think you would be great on top of an even bigger platform. Is that not interest you, Jill, or is that something that might happen with this strong team you've built at Citizens? Um, you know, it's not something that we've pursued. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it would have to be a really unique situation for us to have that interest and it would have to be like we're we get lots of interest in people trying to acquire us and acquire our team. Right. That's not on at all something that I wouldn't stay here if that's if that's the play. We're we're trying to build something special. I think it was something to what you're talking about, more of a reverse aspect. We'd be interested in that. We're limited in our capital and the team is the largest shareholder through our employees talk ownership pl- plan. So we have to think about scaling profitability, not asset size. So um, M&A is not something I'm at all pursuing. It's something um, that I try to discourage in the, the industry. 
um, because like there's such strength in being independent, but I, I don't think that's completely yeah. out of the realm of possible. Now that's contrarian. Could you touch a little on why you discourage M and A? Because that's interesting to Al and I. Um, I think diversity is is strength, and if whenever you have, it would be different if we were having de novo starting at the same pace that consolidation was occurring. So, but whenever we're talking about, we see what happens when we have consolidated larger regional institutions, and if they fall into times of vulnerability then we're, we're having not systemically important institutions become systemically important. And whenever you start having multiple of those, it just starts making no sense. Um, I think also, you know, I, I'm, I'm in love with the community banking ideal of like a, a George Bailey type of figure who's a steward of their community, who is in the middle of being accountable, both from the health of the institution, but also the health of the economy that he's contributing to. Um, I think you lose something that's really precious whenever those types of individuals go away or whenever they get scaled too big that they can't pay attention when they can't sit in the lobby, when they can't provide their cell phone number. It's real hard to scale that. And people try. And I, I, you know, I always joke when that local president becomes the, quote, market president of Big Bank Inc., they seem to fade away and disappear. Or if they show up to the chamber meeting, they have like a glass in their gloss in their eyes like they're not there. So I, I do agree with you that, you know, uh, how you keep that engagement and that kind of co-vesting of the economy locally is something that is really interesting. At what scale, you know, it, it's a it's always up for debate. But we agree with you that that diversity and even redundancy is a system of, you know, part of strength. And, you know, I, I want to keep on controversy because another thing you've been writing about, Jill, is it's kind of like my man Springsteen just breaking out and saying we were born to run. Deposit insurance has been something that we've, Al and I have seen you write about. Um, and you're not the typical banker saying let's have everything insured. Please come in and give us uh, subsidy or, or relief right now. You're saying we can do it right now under the system we have. And and given your size, that's very contrarian. So uh, tell our listeners, uh, what are your thoughts on deposit insurance? Where do we go from here, given what's happened during 23? I think if you are confident in the strength and soundness of your bank, then you would not be running towards unlimited deposit insurance. If you're not going to have difficult conversations that require um, structuring customer accounts so they are that you can mitigate any of their concerns through using networks that have um, insurance availability, then I think that you're also not a great banker. <laughs> so um, I think sometimes we, uh, and even the scalability question, I think that I get a lot of people and even uh, folks within Cornerstone have given me a hard time. I Jill's not scalable. I mean, I have 14,000 deposit customers. There's $4 billion banks in my community that don't have that many customers. And their their CEOs up in the, a um, ivory tower and 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 suddenly their scale well i mean they just have bigger depositors and not as many of them tell, tell us who at cornerstone give you a hard time we're going to take we're going to take care of those <laughs> those tools take them out and back well, and rub them Ron's told me a few times and it, it's not scalable and but i do think it is i think that um when you talk about the numbers like the numbers it is completely scalable to be accessible and i think I think sometimes as bankers we want it's easier to get in the ivory tower it's easier to have the gatekeepers and to separate yourself from the community because it, it, you have less accountability. There's less, I mean, it's a, I get people that are angry, people that are sad, people that are anxious. Um, you see the whole 
realm of human emotion in this position. And it can be really hard. And so, especially whenever it's the final answer is you. Um, but I think it's, I think it's absolutely essential for our, for our, the success of our industry and that trust. And I think that that's where you do need a government subsidy. If you're not willing to be the person that, that they're not like, okay, Joe is accountable or Jill's accountable. Um, but if you want the government to be the one saying that our banks are safe and sound because of this, of a safety net that we provided, rather than saying we run great banks in America, and we also have deposit insurance to mitigate some of the risk of a run. But to have that be the, the lead, then we, you might as well just nationalize banking. Interesting. Yeah, I might I might fall a little bit more and could we increase a little and get some small business coverage? But I appreciate what you're saying and I appreciate all the hustle around things like Interfi to to build that. You know, it's it's the hard work of relationship management and uh, it's a good call to action for everybody right now. Get out there. And uh, don't just let the deposits uh, leave. Really have the discussions you guys are having. Well, there's just no need with the bright D going away during COVID. You can you can sweep to a money market and have that money market sweep to Interfi and come back. And customers are earning more interest. It's harder on the bank from a spread standpoint. But before that, yeah, I totally understand why you might want to need like a, a transaction account guarantee because you didn't have the ability to sweep back and forth. You were limited in number of. Um, transactions out of a non-transaction account, but that doesn't exist anymore. So um, that's where I think banking has changed and we haven't realized that it's changed. Yeah. Well, as I, as we open, banking is never boring. And one of the things I, I really, I think both Steve and I appreciate is you're showing that diversity really is the spice of life. And so if we can keep fighting the good fight, if we can keep creativity at the forefront of what we do, then I think this industry has just some magnificent opportunities for people to do some really cool things for great communities that will appreciate them time and time and time again. So I just want to say this is a big time thanks for your service to our country, to your community, to our industry, and really uh, for joining Steve and I today and getting plugged in with us. So he's Steve Williams. She's Bill Castilla. I'm Al Dominic. I'm signing off from our nation's capital but I look forward to our next episode of Plugged In. Thanks so much, Jill. Thank you. 